Today we're gonna talk about two things that his power reinforces, justice and righteousness. And did everybody take a big gulp? <laughs> we're talking about what? We are, we're gonna dig into these two massive topics today because they're so important to who he is and his work in the world. We're gonna start in Psalm 89.14. If you're looking for notes, you can find those at themovement.org. We'll also have some goodies up on the screen. Psalm 89.14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and trust go before your face. So when we say throne, we're talking about his rule, his power, his dominion, everything that he is. That is held up by justice and righteousness. So we need to understand these things. If his kingdom is being held up by this, if this is a root system, we gotta explore what this is. We're gonna continue, let's look at Deuteronomy 32.4, it says, he is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. This is telling us that he has the identity of being just and being righteous, being right. He's just right. Stay with me. He's just right. So when you're trying to remember, what did Haley talk about today? He's just right. That's what we're talking about today because he carries the identity. So not only is the kingdom held up by these two things, but he is justice and he is righteous. And he is both of those things because everything comes from him. So he is setting this standard. He is setting this process in place. Now, Job 37, 23 says the almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. So the kingdom is held up by justice and righteousness. He is just right. Say it with me. He is just right. So it's his identity, but then he's going to behave that way in the world. He's going to live a life that is just and that is right. Why? Because he behaves out of identity. We do the same thing. Who we believe we are, we are going to live out of that. He is the same way. So it's holding up the kingdom. It's who he is and it's how he acts. This is a big deal in the kingdom. No wonder there are so many counterfeits to these two things because they're so important to the kingdom. And the enemy's like, if I can twist this, if I can get them off track in these two areas, win. But we're not gonna let that happen. We're gonna draw it back. And today we're gonna kind of do a, a big overview of these two things that I believe then you can walk away and, and have some different conversations with the Lord. You can look back on uh, maybe the life you're living, the decisions you're making, the organization organizations you're supporting and say, is this in alignment with what he says about justice and righteousness? Does that sound crazy? <laughs> A little bit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are with us. I speak right now. A surrendering of our hearts and a hearing 
of what you want to speak today. I thank you for your eternal truths, your eternal justice, and your eternal righteousness that we get to glean from today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start with righteousness. We're going to dive in and explore it, talk about it, define it, all those things. But the challenge with righteousness and culture is it's subjective. You do you, boo-boo. You get to do what's right for you, and I get to do what's right for me, and we're just going to live in our rightness separate from each other. Righteousness isn't subjective. And when it is, it's going to lead to oppression. Why? Because if I'm making the best decision for little old me, it is likely not going to be the best decision for another person, an entire people group, an entire nation. Come on, history. We've learned this. If righteousness isn't anchored somewhere, it's not going to be healthy. It's why we see this constant revolving door of what is right. What was right 50 years ago isn't what's right today. Because it changes. Why? Because it's not anchored to his righteousness. If we are going to stand and say biblical truth is our foundation, we have to press and see what the Bible says about righteousness. Does that sound good? All right. Biblical righteousness is a word called zedekah. Say it with me. Amen. You're speaking Hebrew now. It is the standard set in place by God for every aspect of life. Every single one. It is God's moral law, what is just, merciful, lawful, and right. For everything. He has set it in place. He has set it in motion. And it is. It is unchanging just like he is. And it is concrete. So if we are going to be the people of God, what do we do? We step under this and say, okay, I'm going to receive this righteousness from you. Only you get to define it. James 4, 12 tells us there is one lawgiver and it ain't you. And it's not me. Hallelujah, praise. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? There's no flex, there's no flux, there's no argument with his righteous standard that he has set forth. He's one lawgiver. And thank goodness, judge is not on my job description. So don't be judgy, okay? We're going to set that down because it is his standard and he is the only lawgiver. So righteousness is defined by God alone. Making sense? All right. Righteousness in action is going to produce life. It is always going to produce life. Why? Because it is God's right moral standard. So when we step under this, it puts us in right standing with him, where all types of blessing and flourishing are going to flow, where we begin to thrive. It's like stepping under a waterfall of him. When I live righteous, I step fully under this and then whoosh. There it comes. That's what we're pressing for. And that is where life is going to draw from. So a righteous life, righteous living, this righteous standard is always going to produce life. Proverbs 13.9 says, the light of the righteous rejoices. Lift up a joyful noise to the Lord, right? But the lamp of the wicked will be put out. 
This, this combination of light and rejoice is that full picture of celebration and joy and life and light. When you see this through line of light in scripture, that's what it's talking about. It's this flourishing in him. And it exists because righteousness, because we step under the flow of righteousness. Is this making sense? We're tracking? All right. The third thing about righteousness is that it's highly relational. You don't get to just be all little righteous over here and have that not seep onto every aspect of your life. If you are living righteous, it is going to overflow into every relationship, every interaction. Because our lives are relational. You can't get away from it. It's not pot. You are going to interact with creation on some form every single day even on your little devices. That's interaction with creation. So even if you're shut in and you never leave your home, you're probably on your phone, you're on the internet, you're interacting. And if righteousness isn't in place, what's gonna happen? This bridge of relationship is gonna be harmful. It's gonna be broken. We're gonna unlock this system of oppression where I'm unrighteous and making decisions for me and that is oppressing another and then they're gonna get mad and rise up and oppress the oppressors and what do we have? This system of brokenness in place. Why? Because righteousness is not in the middle of it. It is not holding us anywhere. And when righteousness is broken, oftentimes in our relational bridge, when I do something, when I wrong another, this is where the need for justice comes in. Because for righteousness to be this powerful standard that is held, it needs to be reinforced. You know when you're training a puppy, you have to hold that line. You can't, you can't back down, you're like, oh, today we're just not gonna follow the rules. Because that little puppy is like, woo, gonna have a good time, right? It's not what you're gonna do. If every time someone knocks on my door and I don't go sit, sit, treat, treat, pause, wait, shush, muzzle. Her quiet word is muzzle, though. <laughs> and when she doesn't listen, she gets the muzzle put on her, and then she looks so pitiful. But I have to hold that line with her. That is what justice does. Righteousness is this standard, but justice is going to uphold righteousness. It's going to hold it in place. So let's define justice as it is in scripture. Because let's be real, there's a lot of definition for justice in the world. All right, everyone say mishpat. You speak in Hebrew. That is the Hebrew word for justice. It is impartial an equitable application of God's moral law, a ju judgment or verdict based on fairness and equality of all. Justice. That's a big thing. He is going to uphold his standard through justice. That's what we see in action. So like we said, righteousness is the standard, but justice is going to uphold it. So in essence, Righteousness becomes manifest through justice because it's going to hold that standard. This is why they go together. When you read scripture, you're going to crack up at this as you read your Bible moving forward. These two are almost always talked about side by side. 
if not in the same verse, they're in the same area because they have to reinforce each other. If you have justice with no righteous standard that you're upholding it to, chaos. You're shooting at a moving target. High culture. Right? This is what we're living in. And if you have righteousness with no justice, the moral standard just diminishes in power because it's not being held. The two have to go together and they have to come from him. Tracking? We're on the same page? All right. Now, I realize justice is a big, 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 big topic that a lot of us are really passionate about. I'm gonna highlight three key things for kingdom justice, we're gonna differentiate that, and it's mechanism in the earth that I believe can apply to operation in so many other areas. But this is, I trust me, I know it's like this much of this massive, like the Titanic is here and the big iceberg beneath the surface, and we're gonna talk about the little bit that the side of the boat hit. Fair? Okay. The first thing about kingdom justice is its goal. The goal of kingdom justice is righteousness. That's its end goal, its end mission. Everything that God does, remember, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Right living is his mission for creation. Everything is going to fuel that direction because his goal is to live in intimacy with his creation, with his kids, and that requires righteousness. So justice has to have the end goal of righteousness. That's the way up here standard. Now, a lot of social justice programs have an end goal of equality, which is like right here. That's a piece of kingdom justice. We are all one. We are all equal before the Lord, yes. That is real, right? It's why Jesus filled in that gap so that there can be no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile, no Hebrew, no female, no male, because equality. But it's not the end goal of the kingdom. If the end goal of the kingdom was equality, we'd all look the same and talk the same and we'd have the same skin tone and the same eye color and I would get someone's really good eyes and not have my can't see eyes. Like we would be the same, same. But that's not his end goal. Righteousness is. So justice is always going to fight to draw that standard to here. Equality isn't the end game. Now, God knows that then there's stuff below equality. We start in different places. Take which nation you're born in. That immediately sets you up on a different playing field. Different access to things. A different lifestyle. There's a lot of other things that set us up on this not equal playing field. We're not going to dig into those. Hello, triggers. We're going to leave those aside today, but we're just going to acknowledge that they exist. Beneath this is a concept called equity. God uses equity. In Psalm 9:8, it says, He judges the world with righteousness. Remember, that's the standard He holds it against. And He judges people with equity. God understands the systems of this world that set us up in different places, with different situations, with different access, and he factors that in. He was aware of that. Equity is evenness, uprightness, straightness. It's a leveling. So, well, righteousness, equality, all of us, 
and equity is going to fill in those gaps. You picturing it? How are my hand motions going? I feel like I'm doing head, shoulders, knees, and toes real quick. So equity is going to draw us to this equal playing field. This is where we thrive in justice. This is where the principles of take care of the poor, take care of the orphan, take care of the widow, reach to the oppressed and draw them here. Live with no partiality, no preference for anything in anyone else. That's what's going to fill in that gap that draws us right here to where? Equal. Before him, we're equal. Thanks, Jesus, that he filled in that gap for us. His blood has covered this space and drawn us to this place of equality. But remember, equality isn't the end goal. Why? Because righteousness is and free will has to exist. From this place of equality to righteousness, we've got a free will. We have choices. We have on our own space. Love has to have free will. If equality was the end goal, we're robots, friends. That's not what we are. We have choices. He has laid it before us. And then we get to live in this other space where another type of justice comes alive. But what has he done? He's filled in this space. And yes, I know there are places in culture that need to catch up to God's standard, to God's truths about who we are as his kids. One, yes, there are things. So we're still doing work here, full in agreement. But we're also doing work right here. Is this making sense? So righteousness is the end goal of justice. That is what it is working toward. The second thing we have to understand about justice is it has two arms. It has a side that is retribution. This is where that holding of the line is because wrongs have to be punished. That's how righteous stays at the, the big, big, big standard that it is because that line is being held by punishment. That's just real. However, Jesus did something really crazy about this arm of justice and he handled it. His justice has silenced every injustice. It has paid the price for it. It weighed, took on the weight of the punishment of every single injustice. It's sobering. And as the people of God to say, I'm going to live in that truth, what do I have to do? I have to take off judgment. I have to take off punishment. I have to take off retribution against broken people who are living from brokenness. And that action that he did on this side, caveat, yes, we still need laws, we still need protections in society. Because Jesus died, we don't let people just run amok and go like, well, Jesus forgave them, so they can just keep murdering people. No. There are, come on, there are consequences natural consequences and eternal consequences that we have to live in. However, as kingdom kids, our actions look different because what Jesus did on this arm of retribution is arc over to this other side of justice that is restoration. This is that big arm arc to the other arm that is restoration. 
And what is this? It is a lifting of the lowly. It is a healing of the broken. It is every promise in the new covenant through Christ. And what does this do? It allows us to be seated in his righteousness. So our operation in justice is to invite people into that. I don't need to handle your brokenness and what you did that was a mistake, but I get to invite you into this eternal restoration where he has actually forgiven you past tense, forgave a really long time ago. The sins, the errors that you're going to do tomorrow. That's the promise that we get to release. And we get to invite people into this arm of restoration. This is where we live. This is the truth that we get to speak to people. This is the hope we get to bring in every atmosphere that we step into. Is this making sense? Okay. Having a good time. This is a good word. My, I've been studying this for like two years because I was like, I need to get it. God, I want to understand this. There's so much beneath the surface that we are not touching on, but track it. Take these things and go have another conversation with God. This like, for sure. We're doing a Bible study this week on version. Links will go out today. Join us for it because we're going to continue this dialogue. I'm saying that now because I'll forget if I wait until the end. So you're totally invited. Come study the Bible with me this week. It's going to be a good time. So retribution handled. Where do we live? Restoration. Restoration. And that is the invitation that we get to invite people into. The third thing about kingdom justice that is so important is that it requires mercy. It requires mercy mercy because mercy by definition is compassion or forgiveness where punishment is due. If justice is going to draw you to righteousness, it can't just punish you. If all it does is punish, it's never going to call you here. So mercy is an incredible principle in the kingdom that creates a space for people to rise for people to step into this. It's, it baffles my brain that God did this. And in both righteousness and justice, mercy is active. So in righteousness, mercy is active because we know we will never, could never become righteous on our own. And in his mercy, he came and carried the punishment of sin for us took it on his back, paid for it with his blood. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Mercy said, you can't do it yourself. I'm gonna create a space and I'm gonna invite you in to live right here in me, in my righteousness, be invited in. That's the only way. Being seated in him is the only way we're going to reach that standard. And as the people of God, we need to raise our expectation on the potential of that reality here today. Stop leaning on grace. Well, grace. So it's okay if I make this little mistake because we've got this like weird hierarchy of sins. And like these are okay sins. And these ones are like the not okay sins. So I'm okay to live like right here. No, all of it, all of it, 
is due punishment from the tiniest little fib to the most unjust of unjust thing that we, we measure on this weird scale in the earth. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And in righteousness, mercy created a space and opened up an invitation to step into his righteousness. Super thankful for that. And justice contains mercy because if it's only punishment, you're stuck. Squashed like a little bug. But mercy creates a gap and says, hey, let's reach up here. Let's go access righteousness together, live at this eternal moral standard that comes from God who is righteous. That's what we're going to access. A silly little story of this in action. I was at the park with one of my besties and she's got a three-year-old. He runs the world, just so you know. He is so smart for his own good, it's, it's a problem. So we're playing at the park, he's got all these kinds of words and it's, it's so much fun to talk to him though because his lens on the world is so beautiful. Talk to a three-year-old if you wanna encounter God, that's just real. So we're walking back to the car and he's booking it. He knows where the car is and he's running ahead and we're chatting and doing our thing and then realize he's getting close to the parking lot. So she does the mama thing and starts yelling like, hey, you need to stop, stop on the curb, wait for us, that's not safe. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So she's freaking out, but she, we're all caring, but we're at the park, we've got a bunch of stuff. So I go running after him and he may have tiny little legs, but man, he's hard to catch up to. So I'm running behind him and he runs into the street he gets a few steps in and I run and I pick him up and I bring him back and I put him on the curb and I get like right here in his face and I was like, buddy, you made a dangerous choice. Your mom was telling you to stop and you were disobedient. Can you think about a better choice that you can make right now as we go to the car? And he stops and when he thinks he gets this little squint on his face. Yeah, I'll hold your hand, Aunt Haley. I was like, yeah, you will? So he grabs my hand and we just trot off to the car. In that moment, he could have been punished. He didn't listen, he was disobedient. And when it's dangerous, like, you really gotta hold that line with kids, right? You'd want them to be safe. But mercy stepped in and said, hey, punishment could be due. Let's create a space for mercy and allow you to rise to a different state, to create a space for this, right? We do this constantly in our lives, but are we living it? with the people who hurt us the most? Are we? Are we, are we allowing mercy to get into this when the weight is really heavy? Let's think about it. We're gonna go read though in John chapter eight. Let's go ahead there. So this is a story, love this story, where Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching, he's doing his thing. And the scribes and the Pharisees find a woman who's caught in adultery. So she did a no-no and she gets brought to Jesus where they expect him to like hold the line of justice. And here's where we, what, that was a lot of words that didn't make sense. Here we're gonna start in verse four. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something to which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Love him for that. 
So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. Because he knew he was the only one in that crowd that could because he was sinless, right? And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What's happening here? The Old Testament law, this is God's law that he gave to his people, said, if you commit adultery, you'd be stoned. So that's just real. And they know this. However, they should have brought both the man and the woman. They're picking on her a little bit, and it wasn't just. So they should have brought both, but technically, for adultery, you could be stoned. This other practice that they had was the drinking of bitter water. So if a woman was accused of adultery, they'd bring her before the priest, and they'd have like this whole ceremony and a sacrifice and all these things, but at the end of it, they would take a cup of holy water and a scoop of dust, basically dirt, drop it in the water, stir it up, and make her drink it. And to determine judgment, if she became barren or sick, she was guilty. But if she was fine, she was innocent. So when Jesus stoops down, I bet they were like, oh, he's going to do the bitter water thing. Like, here we go. We're going to see what actually happens. But he doesn't. He just starts doodling in the dirt. I'm like, okay, sir, I want to know what he wrote. Was he writing their names? Was he writing the law? Was he writing their sins? Was he being like, everybody back up? Like, and the power of God was coming through the everybody back up word. I don't know. Who knows what he was writing in the dirt, but it was enough. And the words that he said, let the, the one who is without sin throw the first stone. That was enough to get everybody to turn around. So Jesus can have this moment with this woman. And what happens? He says, where are the ones who condemned you? And she's like, they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Mercy. You did a wrong, but neither do I condemn you. I've allowed mercy, forgiveness, where punishment could be due to create a space. And what does he say? Go and sin no more. Be righteous. Mercy created this gap for righteousness to rise. And then what does he say? I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you're not in darkness, but in light. Why? Because righteousness produces light. There is life. It is going to illuminate. This is what happens when we step into right living with him. So what do we do with this? These are two massive concepts. Righteousness, this massive, massive moral standard that God has set in place. And justice, this this upholding of it. But how many of us are living in punishment? How many of us have decided, I know what's righteous and it's by my decision? We've stepped in as judge. But we're living on the wrong arm of justice. I love this verse in Micah 6, 8. It says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? but to do 
justly, love what? Mercy. Love mercy and walk humbly before your God. Do we love mercy? Sometimes I don't. It's hard. When someone's done me dirty and I'm like, I love mercy for you. Not always. Because I want, I want you to hurt like you hurt me. Anybody ever said that? This is real. This is like a moment with him. We have to put down retribution, punishment, this fight. We have to put down the holier than thou, that I am the standard of righteousness and I get to decide on someone's eternity and someone's destiny. No one's too far gone. That abuser in your life or the person you love's life, God loves them. God's after them. God wants mercy to invade their space and to create that gap so they can rise to righteousness. That's his heart and his plans. And can we get on board with that? Can we love mercy as much as he did to the point of laying down our lives? To coming before him, to stepping into a culture that's gonna throw stones as we fight to hold this line of righteous. Can we step into this? Can we partner with his plans and silence the voice of the adversary and say, no, mercy's gonna thrive in this moment and create a space so we can rise to God's right moral standing? Can we do it? Now, I realize um, we're sitting, probably a handful of us, if not all of us, on an unsettled injustice. This thing that doesn't feel done because punishment hasn't been issued or we haven't seen it. Maybe you're carrying it for yourself. Maybe you're just walking guilty. Man, I messed up. I've done wrong. Or someone's done wrong to me. Whether it's for yourself it's for, or it's for another, we have to set down judgment. We have to set down retribution. We have to put down this thing. That's where we're going to start. So I want to invite you to kind of have a little bit of a conversation with your Lord. If you want to close your eyes, you can. Uh, we're going to focus in and, and just talk to him for a sec. See if we can reset this place in our heart. Right now, Father, I thank you that you are in the midst, that you are revelation, that you are freedom, that you are the spirit of God that is within us, that is going to guide us in this moment to get to a place of healing and freedom and health. Right now, can you just say, Holy Spirit, I'm listening? Yeah, even if you whisper it, Holy Spirit, I'm listening. And let's ask him the question out loud. Father God, is there any place in my heart I'm holding on to judgment for myself or for another? Listen for it. Be willing to have that mirror set before you. This point of reflection.
Maybe he showed you yourself. You're just living in judgment of yourself. Maybe he showed you another person. And we're going to ask another question. Father God, we're going to ask it together out loud. Father God, can you tell me or show me a picture of your mercy towards this person? And right now in your conversation with him, in your dialogue with him, can you set down judgment? Whatever that looks like for you, just tell him, Lord, I'm setting down your mercy, your, your judgment, and I'm receiving the mercy that you want to show for this person. If you're receiving it for yourself, um, you can put your hands on your heart. You can, in just a way of receiving, speaking that over yourself. If there's a person that you're visualizing, like picture yourself putting your hand on their heart, coming into agreement with the mercy that God wants to show for that person. Right now, Father, I thank you for the courage and the strength of everyone in this room to stand in agreement with what you're showing us. That person, whether it's ourself or it's another, You are just, you are right, and you are the one who contains mercy. And right now we say yes. Can you just say yes? We say yes to you, Lord, to release mercy in a fresh way. To release mercy. Thank you, Father, for the seal on this moment. That this is changing our lives because being stuck in judgment keeps us pinned, keeps us in pain. So we release it to you and we trust you, Jesus, to come in and be the restoration to every injustice. We partner with your restoration this morning. And if you guys can open your hands in front of you. Loving mercy is hard, but right now, I believe Holy Spirit wants to empower you with the God ability to love mercy. And not in a way that says like, oh, I know I'm supposed to, but a genuine from the core of who we are to love mercy right now father we receive an impartation we receive an empowering from your spirit the ability to love mercy take it in feel it wash over you i literally see it like a wave coming across this room restoring healing breaking down those barriers. We receive. We receive it right now. 
and ability to love mercy. And as you're feeling that, can you stand in agreement? When you're ready, just say, I love mercy. When you're ready, you might not be ready right now. You might hit a moment this week. You might hit a moment this week where you're ready to say, I love mercy. Come on, keep pressing in. Don't back out from this moment. I know some people are standing. That's totally okay. You're having a moment before your king. You're standing in agreement with it. We stand with you with a loving of mercy. As you're, as you're believing it in the core of who you are, just keep saying it. I love mercy. I love mercy. And as the people of God who are standing in agreement with this, who are saying yes to this reality, I thank you right now for the clarity, the discernment, the kingdom pursuit of your justice and your righteousness as we step out of this room. Our minds, our hearts have been shifted to see your perspective on this and we're ready to go live different, to be bringers of light into a dark world, to take it on because the greatest fulfillment of this is that prayer that was prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of your throne and we as the people of God stand in agreement and surrender to live in your righteousness and bring your justice to this earth. There are lost kids of yours that you want us to go after and we say yes to it. Even the darkest of the darkest people that this world has given up on we say yes to bringing mercy to their front door. We say yes to bringing mercy to every single one of them. Father, right now, I thank you. I ask you to continue to bring revelation and do a work on this in our hearts. We're open. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, family.